0: On today's episode of GM Street, we will discuss gambling and what it means for the NFL and Roger Goodell's response. We're going to hit the Cleveland Browns making their HBO debut on Hard Knocks. And we're also going to talk about the budding rivalry between Baker Mayfield and Josh Rosen. And as always, we are part of the Ringer Podcast Network, where the Ringer NBA show has you covered for the playoffs. Check out our new music podcast as well on Shuffle, hosted by Michael Peters, as well as our yummy new food podcast, The Dave Chang show and of course be sure to check out the ringer.com where we have Westworld coverage the NBA takes that'll give you all the spice you need and more and now let's get on with GM Street welcome to GM Street part of the Ringer podcast network it is Monday it is May 21st and it is a dreary day in Hollywood and I am joined on the line by Mr. Mike Lombardi Lombardi how you doing I'm great,
1: Tate Frazier. you brushing up on your NBA draft stuff?
0: I'm trying to. I'm trying to keep up with it. It's uh, obviously a busy weekend. We have the conference finals. Uh, the, the problem right now with the NBA for me is that we cannot get a game that is closely contested. It's all blowouts. No,
1: it's, no, it's horrible. But the NBA draft's fun. I went over and spent some time uh, last week since we chatted with the Clippers. I got a chance to, to watch some tape, study some prospects, kind of spend some time talking about scouting with them. They talked to me about it, so it was fun. I mean, it, this is always fascinating how different drafts operate, you know, and what you expect from the draft, which which is remarkable considering that these players in the NBA, they get guaranteed, you know, a slot in the first round, and then they don't work out. I was like, like flabbergasted by it. I can't even understand how that happens.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that uh, that happens all around, and all it takes is one team to tell you you're going to be a first round pick. If you're Dante Divincenzo and the Charlotte Hornets tell you they're going to take you in the first round, then it's hard to go back to Villanova. Uh, I think he actually may go back. Speaking of Divincenzo, but he he wilded people at the combine. Uh, I find it interesting about the Clippers though; they had those. They, two f- They
1: thought he would go back too. I, th- I think most people think he'll go back because. Even though he had a great combine, from what I was told, he's going to move up, and he's moving up next year. If he has another great year, he'll move way up.
0: Well, he's going to do exactly what Bridges did. Bridges went back. Uh, He probably would have been a late late first-round pick. He went back, and now he's a top-ten pick, and I think DiVincenzo will do more of the same next year at Villanova. It's good for Jay Wright. Um, if, if that happens, obviously. But I, the, the Clippers with the logo there with Jerry West there, I, I find that very fascinating. And there there was even a report by the uh, Kevin O'Connor came out. The Ringer's own Kevin O'Connor said that uh, the Clippers are looking to package those two picks to draft Michael Porter Jr., who Steve Ballmer loves from Seattle. So
1: a right. well, lot, I, lot I of stuff Luka. going on. Yeah, look, and Jerry was there too, and you know Jerry. If we go back. Jerry's in the book because uh, in 1994, when we were getting ready to have the com- when we were getting ready to have the salary cap, Belichick and I flew to Chicago, and spent a lot of time with Jerry West at that at that basketball combine back then, and mm. you know, and so Jerry and Bill go back a long way, and we were in West Virginia practicing with the Patriots and the against the Saints. Jerry still lives there, spent time with them again there. So look, I, I think the Clippers have to figure out a way to get a marquee player. Forget about having multiple picks. They, they need somebody they can build around and go with. So, you know, it's interesting how it all works. I mean, I, I think the one thing that's clear, it takes talent to evaluate talent. And I truly believe that. And no matter what systems you have, and we talked about this at the Clippers, like to me, the best thing you can do in any draft is go back and study the last year's draft. For example, you know, if you're sitting there and you're wondering how you missed Donovan Mitchell, you're never going to find the answer if you don't go back and replace that. And I think that's what what we should do in the NFL draft, and that's what they should do in the NBA draft.
0: And uh, speaking of the NFL and all things NFL news, we got a lot of news coming out about... Gambling—that is the hot topic of the week, and oh ev- and everyone is talking about the legalized sports gambling in the U.S. Uh, the Supreme Court ruled last week to strike down a 1992 law that barred most state-authorized sports gambling. This was in your state of the great New Jersey. Uh, good for you! Yeah, we, we
1: we did it for everybody. We yeah. we
0: actually did it. <laughs> you did it. Uh, we took the bullet. <laughs> absolutely, you bit the bullet for everyone. Um, so right now, the the big question is what is going to happen with the the sports leagues. And Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner, came out and uh, he has uh, some stipulations. He says that he he wants a uniform uh, standards for for any state that that plans to legislate sports betting. And basically the whole point is the NFL wants to be involved in any decisions and they want to be a part of the compensation and the money that comes in, of course, with these sports leagues. So they're looking for a uniform uh, position um, on all this stuff from a federal level, not just at the state level. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with this as it rolls out.
1: Well, didn't the Supreme Court just rule that nothing from a from a federal level can really dictate it? It exactly. all must be done from a state level. And now Roger so Goodell's kind of fighting them
0: back. Yeah, he, he does not yeah, agree with the Supreme I mean, Court.
1: I, you know, seven to two by the Supreme Court. So that's a resounding victory. That's just not like a. That's not like just you won on the last play of the game. That's a resounding victory when you get seven to two. So, look, I, I think a couple things are going to happen. First of all. Anybody in the league that tells you gambling isn't a part of it, why would we have injury reports? Why do we post the inactive list? I mean, those two things right there are telling people who's playing, who's not. I mean, wouldn't it be harder for the gambler? Say he was getting ready. Say we dressed all 53 players, which to me is one of the biggest crimes in sports, is you pay 53 players, but you're not allowed to dress them. Like, it makes no sense at all. We talk about injuries, right? We talk about making sure the game's safer for everybody, but we're only allowed to go to the game with 46 players, but we pay 53 every game. Like, why do we do that? We do that because injuries, we keep it secret. We do it because it it gives the gambler a chance to know. We see the line shift at 12.30 on Sunday, you know, Eastern Time, based on who's inactive and who isn't active. You know, but if we don't have that list, it's really hard to have a line. It's hard to shift it. So for all the stuff that the NFL says it wants to do to protect itself about gambling, every rule that's put in place is about the whole integrity of the injury list is about gambling. Mm -hmm. I mean, look, you know, if we didn't have an injury if, if there was no injury list. That injury list isn't for the clubs. Trust me, nobody that works at a club looks at it and says, Oh my God, you know, Tom Brady's doubtful this week. He, he's not going to play. Everybody knows he's going to play. He's just listed as doubtful, right? I'm pretty sure that Tom Brady oh.
0: is listed as questionable every single week, right? That, that's the allure I, I, yeah, of uh, I mean, Bill nobody Belichick. in
1: the league pays attention to that. You know, everybody pays attention to who's on the inactive list, but you prepare as if, you know, the injuries are just a phony. So, I I, I think twofold. I I think it's going to, I really think to me, if we were really worried about gambling, we should dress all 53 players. Mm -hmm. I mean, it makes no sense not to, Tate Fraser, because we dress, they're playing them, and it helps player safety. And if a guy's not healthy, then he doesn't suit up. And you announced that as an inactive player like the NBA does. You know, Markel Fultz is inactive for all those playoff games Why right? Jason Tatum is playing, even though we drafted Fultz ahead of him. I'm not complaining or anything by yeah, that. Man. But the reality of it is, is that he was listed as did was an active coach's decision, right? They have that in the NBA, correct?
0: Yes, they do. That, it, that they do. I don't see
1: why they can't do the same thing in, in the NFL. And look, they better embrace gambling in the NFL because it's going to be a huge moneymaker. And where the teams are going to make most of their money is when they're going to be able to put a betting poller in the stadiums. Think about that, Tate Frazier. Yeah, Think it, about being able to bet at and after the first quarter. Think about going to the game and being able to bet on who scores the first touchdown or being able to do all those things.
0: It, it makes it brings the casino environment into the sports arena. And I've actually seen some people make some great points about even the fact that it can trickle down to, you know, women's sports and WNBA and how it could help that sport. And and for, if people are gambling, then, you know, they're going to be invested and involved in that. So there is some good side of this. Obviously, what Goodell is saying is that, you know, his whole point is they want to protect. Uh, this is a quote from him. He wants to protect the fans and penalize bad actors here at home and abroad. And we should say the fact that it does become legal opens up the door for, you know, agencies to be put together to make sure that some of these bad actors aren't out there. The fact that it is, quote unquote, illegal in some places right now means that bad actors can do things, you know, uh, below and behind scenes. Uh, And now that it is, you know, bringing to being brought to the forefront, that will most likely be good. Um, I also want to talk about. Look,
1: we've had bad we've had bad actors. I mean, the NBA had that referee that was a bad actor. I mean, you know, we're all we're all still paying a price for Arnold Rothstein. I mean, let's face it. I mean, you know, the guy in the Black Sox scandal back in 1911 or something like that. Look, I I, I think this. I, I think it's good for the game. I think it's going to be more money. And I think you hit the nail on the head. It's going to generate, just like fantasy has generated more interest in the game, it's going to generate more interest. But I think this. This is what I truly believe. I believe the TV, the pregame shows are going to decrease in popularity if they don't go on and talk about who's going to win the game. Mm-hmm. I think the, the the pregame shows, the fluffy pieces, the player interviews, those are all good. That's for during the week, but before the game, an hour before the game, if you don't come on TV and say, "I like this game, I like that game," here's what I do, react to the injuries, and give fans, you know, set up an account and pretend you're, you know, a, a gambler. I think you're going to lose the interest of everyone.
0: And we should say it was the 1919 World Series. I will, I will put that out 1919, there. 1919, I apologize. No, the 1919 World Series. I'll bring that up. But it brings us to a larger point. And a guy who did do that was Jimmy the Greek. Uh, people have probably seen the 30 for 30 on him and his impact. But he did do that. He came on, and you know, he was a better. You he, know, fl- he he was he known as you-,
1: it. He, you. know, he set the line. Yeah. What he would do. This is now 12:30 was when the NFL today on CBS started, and at 12 o'clock he had a radio show. I was just laughing about it. I ran into an NFL TV person the other night in Los Angeles, and we were laughing about the Greek and how the Greek would at twelve fifteen on his national radio show would pick three games, and then on his TV show on the NFL Today, he would pick the opposite of those three. So if you're driving in the car, you got one version. If you were at home, you got another version. One version was always going to be right, correct? Mm-hmm, so course. he kind of looked like a genius, but the, he never really said, I like this team by seven- he always fudged around it, but it was extremely popular. And when I went to work for CBS, this is how popular it is. They told me at CBS, other than Michael Jordan, and he was bigger than Michael Jordan before he made the ridiculous comment in Washington, Jimmy the Greek. Yeah, before that, mm-hmm. he was the most popular celebrity that couldn't go through an airport. He could get a table at the Carnegie Deli, no matter how far the line was down the street. He'd get any restaurant in the world. He had a suite at the Sheraton. He was because he was telling people who to bet. That kind of charisma. That that's what America is looking for from somebody. Now he was basically talking to NFL owners about what they thought about the game. Loved the Raiders. Would talk to Al. Al loved him. Al Davis loved him. They were always on the phone. He was always pro Raider, and so he was always trying to pick Al's brain on who Al thought was going to win the game. But I, I think we're headed for
0: that a little bit. I really do. And I will say, I, I think it's an open spot for Cousin Sal to make his entrance and, and become that guy. the twenty-first oh, the century!
1: Cousin Sal's going to be huge. Every, you know, and, and everybody's going to want to know how the how the game's going to go, how it's going to be played, and and you know, even the, the little old lady sitting in Des Moines who does you know, bets ten dollars in those card games. You know, when you're back in New Jersey. They pass out those cards, you know, where you bet. You know, they have the betting lines Mm -hmm. right on them, and Mm -hmm. then they have the they have the teaser games. You bet ten games with the teasers. I mean, all that stuff is going to be just so impactful, and it's going to be such a generating interest into the game that I think if the NFL takes this approach, that oh no, you know, gambling's bad. Hell, they've been doing everything to support gambling all along.
0: Something that's going to generate a lot of interest is the Cleveland Browns, uh, the great Cleveland Browns. Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> headed by Hugh Jackson and the Haslam family, they are going to be. he's th- jumping. in. Did he jump in the water? Did he jump in Lake Erie? Yet? I think he's got to at this point. I think that might be the opening scene of Hard Knocks. It's the thirteenth installment right, of Hard he Knocks. He has
1: a date. He's going to do it. He promised to do it. Did he actually do it yet? I
0: don't think he's done it yet. But I know that he will do. It. That will probably be the first scene of Hard Knocks. If I had to guess, what's going to happen to open up the series? It will be Hugh Jackson jumping into Lake Erie, and then we'll get the full cut, the full you know, full promo of what what this Hard Knocks seasons will look like. Um, we have the storyline. Obviously, of Tyrod Taylor and Baker Mayfield, who's going to be the, the QB1 there. Baker Mayfield, obviously, the number 1 pick. Um, but just, just the full landscape looking at the Cleveland Browns, we're going to get everything we wanted to see. This is going to be pure drama, and uh, I know we're going to be tuned in for it because it's going to be too much fun with Huey Headlines.
1: You know, I, I think this is a really a dangerous thing for the Browns because when you let those cameras in, and guys like Greg Williams, who's never been shy around a camera, Right. Mm. And he's going to want to have people, you know, he's going to be looking for his next head coaching job. Todd Hale, he's not shy around a camera either. And then, of course, Huey Headline. He No one's, you know, <laughs> Huey loves the cameras more than anybody. He'll probably have a camera follow him all the way when he wakes up to goes to sleep. Let's so hope he
0: has a GoPro on his head. That's what I'm I feel
1: bad for. for John Dorsey. I really do. I mean, this is going to be a circus beyond a circus and it's going to document it. I think what happens is when you let these cameras come in there you get evaluated by John Q. Public. They find out whether you really actually know or what they're reading in the paper about you is actually true. And I think it's going to be fascinating. Now, the teams have the cutting right to not let something out there. So they always have the final editorial cor- the version. But I-, I can only imagine. And this is just one more thing that they have to manage in Cleveland as they're moving forward. I, I just, uh, To me, I-, I would think any other year, but this year would have been a better year for them.
0: Yeah, and they're trying to restart and rebuild, obviously, with with Baker being there. And uh, speaking of Baker, he he talked about Josh Rosen. You know, Josh Rosen was the tenth pick in the draft, went to the Arizona Cardinals, and he made this comment afterwards that some people have said was probably not uh in the in the right tone for what you say after you get drafted tenth. He said there were nine mistakes made in front of him, and uh, Baker Mayfield made a comment that you don't want to be scripted like that. Uh, Josh Rosen backpedaled a little bit. He said uh, he was talking about the quarterback, so it wasn't all the players that were taken in front of him. But now we got a little bit of a rivalry between these rookie quarterbacks, between Rosen and Mayfield. Who knows if they may see the field? We don't even know yet. But right now, just talking about Baker and Rosen, I mean, that situation between those two guys, I find very fascinating.
1: You know, I think it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. I mean, you know, right now, you know, May is, to me, May is almost the worst lie month of the year. I mean, other than April before the draft when yes. everybody lies, May or, is or the, the over-exaggeration. draft
0: when everyone's calling each other and saying how great they did in the draft.
1: Yeah, I mean, May is the over-exaggeration time of the year. And for me, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how Baker adapts to what he's playing in the role. And they made it very clear that Tyrod's going to be the backup. And, and I think Rosen's going to have to compete with Glennon. He's going to have to compete with Sam, who's not healthy yet. And he will be eventually. But I mean, Rosen, to me, if he does anything at all, that, that he, and he looks anything good at all in preseason camps, you know, not in mini camps because let's face it, Tate Frazier, these mini camps, everybody's talking about every day you go online and you read about who's on the, who's on the bubble, who's, who could be a starter, who couldn't. At this time of the year, it's complete falsehood. It's like so ridiculous to even read it or believe it. It makes no sense at all because they're in, they're not even in pads. They're in shorts. I mean, if I told you the list of players for the all Alameda team when I was in Oakland or you know like you just so many times you go out to these OTA days and you say oh god this guy's a good play," you know this guy's going to be a starter us, and he bombs when camp comes around you just can't really Evaluate the situation based on OTA
0: days. You can't believe in what you see in May, and obviously, you're not winning jobs in May. But the the big story that's come out of OTAs, you know, obviously, you know, we got Ferris Bueller. He's in camp. OBJ. uh, How about that? He he goes and reports. Yeah. Yeah, So the voluntary goes and reports, and now everyone's saying that you know OBJ is, uh, you know, he's hurting some of his bargaining ability, you know, with the New York Giants by showing up to OTAs, which I find very funny because if he didn't show up, they would probably say the exact same thing. But OBJ being in camp with the Giants. I mean that that's taken as a good sign, right? Even though it is May.
1: Look, I think he's smart to do it. I mean he's got to come in there and get a contract. He and look he's got a lot of a lot of evidence to support that, you know, that sixteen, seventeen million I mean when Sammy Watkins contract is good evidence. So he's got a lot of things going for him. You know, and he's got to go in there. It's a new system. He's got to go in there and learn it. And, you know, he's taken Saquon Barkley under his wings, and if he wants to be the face of the franchise, not to be there can only hurt him, and he knows they promised to pay him. So, you know, I, I think it's a smart move on o- o- Odell's part. I think Ferris is good to do it because, look, it can only help you. It can't hurt you. You know, it's not going to affect your contract. I mean, they're, try- they're trying to get him done. He, there's a market. The only thing about doing high-level contracts, there's usually a market in place. There's mm-hmm. usually... Uh, something where you can cling to, where you can say, okay, this guy's better than that guy, this guy's, and the contracts that eventually get done and he's not actually fully as passed his physical to go back on the field but being there is a quicker way to fully pass your physical and being back on the field I can tell you that yeah and
0: it, it did come out that you know there have been good signs they said he looks good after his uh, his surgery recovery I I was at UCLA a couple of weeks ago and he was working out on the football field they had like a closed little session and he was running routes out there and people were all excited so it seems like OBJ is out and about and uh, trying to make an impact uh, one of the you talk about faces of the franchise and what that means uh, one of the guys that is the face of the franchise and for the new England Patriots is Tom Brady, who is absent from OTAs. Uh, we, you know, we just said it is May. That may not mean much, but Tom Brady has been out and about. He's been speaking a little bit that he does feel a little bit slighted, and you know that may be coming down to compensation a little bit. So, should we worry about Brady not showing up and being around for the Patriots?
1: You know, I, I think sometimes the the older guys, it's better that they don't show up. Mm. I, I say that because, look, the, you know, the wear and tear on your body. I mean, how many more times does Brady really need to go out there and go through an OTA day? <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and you say, well, timing with the players. Well, some oftentimes these OTA days, you got to practice. Guys are hurt. Guys are missing this practice. It, it really is about trying to develop your team for the younger players. I mean the more the, the more you can get reps for the Sam Darnolds and the young players, the better team you're going to have and the better they're going to be able to play during the season during, once the regular once the training camp starts. But for Brady to miss, you know, I, I I'm looking at it's not because it's the Patriots because I'm a fan of the Patriots, it's because I think Look, he can find his way, and eventually he's going to get there. Football players play football. Eventually he has a contract. That'll all get worked out. Gronk's going. But you can't be in or out. I mean, one thing about the OTA days, I think for it's important. If you don't want to be there, don't come. But the one thing you can have is in or out. Like one day I'm going to come on Monday. The next day I'm going to come on Tuesday. That won't work. Either you're in or you're out. So if you're either going to be for the whole 12 days of OTAs, and then you have to come for the mandatory minicamp, or just don't come until the mandatory minicamp. Because I think the other way just affects you. And and that's always been, to me, the best way to handle it. Either you're in or you're out.
0: I want to talk about uh, the defensive player of the year from last year, uh, Aaron Donald, with the uh, Los Angeles Rams, of course. He did not attend the Rams off-season program that started in April. He is, in the last year of his rookie contract, set to make about $6.8 million this year. So, obviously a part of his fifth-year option. He is holding out... For a new contract, and uh, you know the mini, mandatory minicamp for the Rams starts uh, June 12th, um, so people are interested to see if he'll show up for that when it is mandatory. But the, the whole Aaron Donald situation, obviously bringing in Sue and bringing in Talib and all these guys, and and stacking up that defense, you still need the Defensive Player of the Year on that side of things to get things really rolling for the Rams, right?
1: Uh, oh, no doubt you need it. But I mean, look, the one thing you know for sure is the fact that you could, you're going to get like the market's been set, right? So. It's not that difficult to figure out that, you know, somewhere Fletcher Cox's contract or Quan Short's contract or Marcel Darius. Those are the guys that, you know, the market is there and the defensive players that impact the game. So, you know, if you're if you're Aaron Donald, you're looking at Fletcher Cox deal and then you're looking at the, then you're looking at the edge rusher deals because he impacts the game. You're looking at Bob Miller's deal. So then to me, you're going to take those two deals and try to come up with a deal and figure out a way. And I think the best thing he can do is hold out. The Rams have budgeted. It's in their deal. They need them. I mean, look, the Rams are all in. The one thing I think about the Rams team this year is they're going to, because of the new stadium, because they're over budget on the new stadium, they're all in. They're spending money to make money. And I think they know they need to get Aaron Donald. Him not being there, Again, I'm not worried about it in May. You worry about it when it gets to August. But really, for him, the way he played last year after missing most, most of the camp, I think the kid stays in good shape. It's just a matter of getting his contract done. Then he comes in and impacts it. And it also comes into the fact that he's got Sue lined up next to him, which to me makes it really hard. Now you got to have three on two inside all the time in terms of your protection schemes.
0: Yeah, they did all they could personnel-wise to incentivize Aaron Donald to want to be back on the field with some of those playmakers that they brought in. Uh, one playmaker also that it, that is still sitting out OTAs is Julio Jones. Um, there was a lot of stuff that came about this offseason where he deleted a bunch of Falcons stuff on Instagram, and then it came out that he was trying to prove a point to uh, Alabama players about having a quote-unquote fresh start on social media. Dimitrov came out the GM of the Falcons and, and said Julio and the organization are doing very well together. And that he had good discussions with Coach Quinn, and that they're in a great spot. So it, it seems like Julio Jones—they're they're figuring that situation out in Atlanta. Even though he is also not uh, at OTAs.
1: Well, look—he's got Antonio Brown making seventeen million, right? Mike mm-hmm. Evans is at sixteen and a half a year. Dondre Hopkins is at sixteen too, and Julio's at fourteen too. So Julio's been passed, you know, and that doesn't sit well. I mean, Allen Robinson just signed a new deal with the Bears, and he's at fourteen million a year. So Alshon Jeffrey just signed a deal with the, with the Eagles. This is these are fresh deals. He's at 13. So the problem with these deals, what happens is these deals always make players unhappy because when they come in, the players that are better. I mean, look, we know this. Julio's is better than. Most of these guys make it more. I mean, Jarvis Landry's making more money than Julio Jones. How could that possibly be? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So Julio's not going to come in. And no matter what Dimitrov says, it's something you're going to have to deal with because it's been a problem for it's been a problem with Antonio Brown. Mike Evans got this new deal. All these players. I mean, that's the biggest issue. You can't you know, it's an issue for Gronk. Because Gronk's sitting here saying, would you trade Mike Evans for Gronk? Of course you wouldn't trade Mike Evans for Gronk. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins is a great player. These guys impact the game, so why shouldn't they make more? And I think that's the biggest issue. I mean, look, it, it, it's a challenge to always pay. You have a contract, a guy should stick in. But they're going to have to do something with Julio because he's significantly better than the guys who are making more money than him.
0: Absolutely. All right, Lombardi, we're going to take a quick break here, and we're going to come back and talk about the Panthers' sell to David Tepper, uh, Nashville having the NFL draft, and a couple uh, more storylines that are all around the NFL. Be right
2: back. Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I wanted to tell you about the revamped Ringer NBA show podcast. We are Monday through Friday on Mondays. John Gonzalez hosts Heat Check bounce around talk to a bunch of different Ringer staffers about the weekend that was and what's coming up on Tuesdays Chris Vernon and Kevin O'Connor America's favorite couple on Wednesdays Sources Say with Chris Ryan and Julia Lipman and maybe some interview podcasts as well and then Thursdays Group chat. Chris Ryan, a rotating cast of Ringer Staffers. We even put this on YouTube, too. And then Friday, draft class. Kevin O'Connor, Jonathan Sharks, sometimes Danny Chow, talking about the 2018 NBA draft. Mock stuff. Who's rising? Who's falling? Who's going to do what? You get this every day, all the way through the playoffs, the draft, and even free agency. Five days a week. The Ringer NBA Show. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast.
0: All right, Lombardi, we are back. Um, we are talking.
1: Tate Fraser, were yes. you involved with
0: this no unfortunately not I was hoping to get uh, I have no <laughs> I don't have the finances to be involved but I do have a lot of opinions that I would love to to throw out there for the Panthers fans but uh, David Tepper he had he had this beautiful speech that he gave at uh, Carnegie Mellon um, this past Loved weekend it. Yeah, Loved talking about you know he went from someone that couldn't even afford to go to an NFL game at one point into his late 20s and now he is going to own the Carolina Panthers he of course had a 5% stake in the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, under the Rooney family uh, prior to this purchase of which, the which is Panthers. an interesting
1: thing and it's not being talked about like to me this is the second owner who's been a part owner of the Steelers which that has gone on to buy an NFL team Haslam did it and now Tepper did it which increases the value for you know when you're a minority owner in the NFL you basically get nothing mm-hmm. you basically get Super Bowl tickets you don't even get a suite at your stadium maybe at your own stadium, you don't get a suite on the road. You know, you're basically just, you get better tickets and you have no influence on the team, right? So the Steelers, by having this minority interest in their team because they had to sell those racetracks and they needed more revenue, they needed more cash in their building, have created this, like, if you go and become a minority partner for them, you're almost, I'm not saying you're guaranteed, but you've been vetted and you you have inside information to to be the next guy. So if you want to buy... If you think the Tennessee Titans are going to come for sale or you think the Denver Broncos are going to be for sale, then you're going to be a minority inter—you're going to want to have interest in the Steelers' minority minority ownership because it's going to put you in at least the pace car or the front car of the race to get the next team. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a story that's not being told, and it's almost like the value of the Steelers, that little share, is more than you think it is because— of this ability to be able to join the boys club without really having to worry about people from the outside. If Tepper didn't get this and somebody else did, the value of that Steelers position wouldn't be as high.
0: And, and, and could it be one of those things, too, where uh, with, with him being in with the Rooney family, you know, you, you don't have to worry about all the background checks that go into this. I mean, he, like you said, he, they're already vetted. You're already, you know, sort of welcome into the NFL family. And that that's sort of the tough part of this. And to parse through that, because when Stephen Curry, you know, was putting out there that he wanted to be a part of some sort of ownership bid, you know, he, he wasn't vetted within the, the NFL ranks. And people may know, obviously, the name and everything, but it, it seemed like it was some sort of a bigger process and a bigger deal. So, with Tepper, um, you know, people seem to be very excited about this. Peyton Manning was a name that was thrown out there. I don't know if he actually got in the ownership group with Tepper. I, I
1: don't think he really did. I, I think t- Peyton has, is, being, is being tactical in what he wants to do and strategic. I don't think he's ready to just jump on to uh, any, any team anywhere. And it's going to be interesting to see what Tepper does. I mean, you know, all the lines came out. He's very happy with everybody at at, at uh, Carolina and status quo. Well, I mean, what else do you expect the guy to say? You know, he's go down there. He buys the team. He's going to run the team like the Steelers. I mean, you read his quotes. It's the same exact quote you read when Jimmy Haslam bought, bought the Browns. And nothing that Haslam has done has represented anything that the Steelers, that he would have learned working for the Steelers. So I think the one thing these owners that buy new teams, they should all take advice of is they should all – operate in the NFL as if the other 31 teams are their competitors and not their friends. I think that's the hardest lesson for them to learn because they've just joined this exclusive club, but this exclusive club really doesn't want them to win.
0: Yes. Yes. And it is uh, obviously it's, it's always new and different as, as we roll into these to these situations with uh, ownership. And obviously there will be um, I, I know a lot of people in Carolina are very excited to have Tepper come in. But there is, you know, the old regime with Richardson. Richardson had a very big following in Charlotte. I think some of that is uh, tempered down a bit, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how all that plays out. Uh, speaking of football leagues and, and, and trying to figure out what the future is, there is a new uh, football league that is coming. It is the Alliance of American Football. The AAF is the name of it. Uh, San Diego is a, one of the cities. They, they now have five franchises that they found. Phoenix is the most recent one. There's some old... And then Rick uh,
1: Duhaisel's the coach. I mean, this is hilarious. This is unbelievable. I, I can't wait. Like To me, I think the next league that... that that would come in would have to be partners with Netflix. I mean, you know, like, or partners with Hulu or some on of those, because then they can stream the games and you actually have revenue coming in. How is this going to make it, Tate Frazier? How is it? Like, well, Like I would think the league would be like a developmental league to develop coaches and young people so it could supplement the other. But these are guys that have already been doing it for a long time. And, like, Brad Childress left a job in the NFL to become the head coach of the Atlanta team. And Rick Neuheisel was playing guitar on the CBS uh, <laughs> uh, on, on college football on Saturday afternoon. Now he's going to go coach a pro team.
0: Yep, and and that that it comes back to the name recognition in football circles. Uh, you have Bill Polian, right, who's a part of this major football league of people. But nope. he's
1: still going to be doing ESPN. He's not going to be doing the league.
0: Yeah, well, he, he's going to be all over the place, it seems like. Uh, I don't know how he does it. Yeah, there must he, be two Bill Polian. Yeah, he may have like a doppelganger or something out there. Um, But but it is funny to see some of these big-name guys be a part of this league. And, you know, it, it, there will be people that tune into this just because of those names, like a Brad Childress, like a Bill Pullian, Um, And and people will see what it is and, and what it looks like. But I'm uh, interested sure to see if it can work out and if it can play out and, and where is the money and where is the interest coming from. Because, obviously, you know, there's a lot of people that think the NFL is you know the popularity is declining, so it's interesting to bring in. another league. I don't league. think
1: that's at all. I think you know they just sold the, t- the Panthers for two point <laughs> five billion dollars. Yeah. Yeah. How is it declining? I think it's going up. I think now with gambling coming in, it's going to increase. I think this league has a chance. To, on the surface, it has a chance to do something. It just depends on the product that you put out there. And look, let's face it, if you can develop quarterbacks and you can develop the game better, I, I, I would think, the, I would think the, the the World League over in Europe would still be good. I mean, they should still go back to Germany and play. Those, te- those games are sold out and expansive. But I have a hard time thinking that these cities like people in San Diego are going to stop what they're doing and go over and watch a pro team. I just
0: have a hard time with that. Of course. And then you also, they're, I think their big push that they're putting out, they have no kickoffs in the, in the Alliance Football League and uh, no TV timeouts, and they have 60% fewer commercials. Uh, so that is apparently the draw. That means 60% less part.
1: revenue, right? Exactly. <laughs>
0: yes. That is the translation. Uh, it is not like the NFL is wanting to put commercials on. That is uh, how they fund everything. Um, let's talk about a little bit more about just news and notes around the league. Uh, we have um, Nashville. Uh, is involved, they're going to have the NFL draft. That's
1: going to be great. I mean, like like Philly, like the last two drafts, Philly and Dallas, have been remarkable, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to be interesting to see what Nashville does. It's going to be – I mean, like I don't know how you could get better than Philly or Dallas in the last two drafts. I hope Nashville's – you know, I hope they just blow it out because it's a great city. It's a great city. There's so much to do. There's entertainment. Mm -hmm. I mean, there should be – it should be a party. It's remarkable. 45.8 million people watch the draft. I mean, you know what's even more remarkable is, and and I know some people, you know, I, I love the NBA too, and people are hogwashed over the NBA. Did you realize that the Celtics-Cavs game had a lesser rating than the Pro Bowl?
0: Yes, I did see that. that did How is that possible, It's Kate fascinating. Frazier? It's fascinating. I, I do believe that a lot of people love having... Football and the NFL, especially, as uh, like even if they're not necessarily watching it, like the Pro Bowl, just having it around as, as background yeah, in the background. I think that happens a lot with those things. But you know, it talks about just the audience and how great that audience and how grand that audience is. I mean, the NFL draft at this point is you know, it's event television, people will tune in to event television, even if they are reading everything on Twitter. That they, they still have it on, they're still watching it, they're still taking it in. Um, and I will say this, I mean. Nashville as a city has grown so much since I went there as a kid uh into I went to the Music City Bowl in 2010 to I went there in 2015 I mean it just seems to keep growing there there's so many people moving down to Nashville there's so many people in Tennessee the state alone that love football and you know with the Tennessee program with the state that it is I mean they've turned over to the you know Tennessee Titans maybe and 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 maybe have bought into the professional leagues a little bit more so I find it fascinating that Nashville is getting that bid and I think that will be uh a fun party if you're in Nashville for the NFL draft. That's for sure.
1: I think it will be too. I mean, one of the best, I mean, I always grade national anthems and, and one of the best ones I heard was, uh, I think it was, uh, Naomi Judd sang it there. We were playing and she had a Frank Wycheck Jersey on and she, we were playing, the Raiders were playing. And it was an incredible national anthem. I mean, that place can get loud. It can, I mean, when things, when, you know, the great Steve McNair was going, that town was behind them. I mean, it's a great town. I mean, I, I don't doubt that it can do the job that Dallas did or Philadelphia, but I don't know if there's as many people to draw as much there, but it should be as much fun. And, I mean, look, the NFL is remarkable. People say it's declining, and yet the Super Bowl, uh, the conference championship games, now the draft is, you know, 45.8 million people watch it. It's remarkable. It's a, like another major event that's, that carries on. And it's just, to me, it keeps growing and growing. And I And I can... You know, and I went and stood in line at the Sheridan Hotel to be the, one of the first 500 people to get in just that's,
0: to watch the damn thing. That's that's amazing. Uh, I should to, have kept. I, I should have kept that ticket. You should have and put that on eBay, make some money. Uh, yeah. I want to talk about some uh, the the Super Bowl. Uh, some of the hosting sites the Super Bowl, Glendale and New Orleans, are the two places that are put up for 2023 and 2024. The the question I have I love New
1: Orleans at yes. the Super Bowl don't New Orleans it's is the great. best town of Superdome, all yes. because you don't have to get in a car you can walk everywhere when we were at the Super Bowl in Glendale I mean Phoenix is a great town don't get me wrong but we were it's all spread out mm-hmm. I mean everything's I hate when it's all spread out like I like it to be compact and, and close that's why I still think we're missing the great opportunity to make the conference championship games you know it, it, bigger than they are I I think the NFL is missing that I think the conference championship games should be at like like New Orleans should be a different location and sell the tickets to the home team, give them a chance to have an excuse because most people can't buy Super Bowl tickets, but they would still like to go on vacation in the wintertime, you know, and they could still support their team.
0: Absolutely. And it it should be said that I, the interesting part of the Glendale New Orleans decision is that you have candlestick in San Francisco and then you have what you know they're about to build in Los Angeles and those you know the, these West Coast Super Bowls uh, are trying to get a Super Bowl out to the West coast there will be a lot of competition uh, to, to see who will get that next spot and I know that uh, San Francisco desperately wants to have a, a Super Bowl up there and Los Angeles probably will expect to have a Super Bowl down here so there could be a little bit of uh, a bidding war oh, between those for, two yeah the yeah. Super
1: Bowl helps pay for the new stadium so that's going be- it's going to be critical that they do that and you know if the weather keeps staying like this in Los Angeles I don't know if the weather will be good for the Super Bowl that's ridiculous Dave you promised me it was sunny here all the time
0: uh, that's what they told me when I came out in 2015. <laughs> that uh, I think I got lied to. It hasn't quite worked out that way. But luckily, you know, we're 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 trying to live uh, as best as we can. You know, trying to survive. Just kidding. I know all the people on the East Coast are rolling their eyes as we say this. Um, is there anything else, Lombardi, around the NFL that we need to hit? No, I'm just looking here?
1: forward to a little, little little summertime in New Jersey and uh, going to enjoy getting ready, talk cu- 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 back about the games and see all these teams and remind everybody. Please don't believe anything that you read about <laughs> a team and about players during OTA days. It's all fake. Yes. When I was in Oakland, we had this wide receiver named Rico Cannon, who ran like a 4-3. He was on the All-Alameda team every single year. He never got to camp. We had guys like James. A- I mean, I could make an All-Alameda team from minicamp that, that we were, not we, I, when I say we, when Mr. Davis was, you know, guys would look good at these practices, you know, but once the competition starts, it changes. Just be patient. Don't evaluate your team right now. That would be my advice.
0: How good did Ronald Curry look every year?
1: Oh, he was great. Ronald Curry was good. If Ronald Curry didn't have the two Achilles injuries, he would have still been a good player. I mean, Ronald Curry was really good, Mm -hmm. and he was only going to get better, and those Achilles just killed. It just really ruined him, and unfortunately, it was at a time where you couldn't really fix the Achilles as well as they're doing it right now. His could never really stick. His wound kept opening up, which became a problem, but Love Ronald Curry. I Have one of the great pictures of Ronald Curry making an unbelievable catch in Denver on a Monday night game where yes. we won. Yes, I have it in my office in New Jersey. Yeah. I love
0: it. You love Ronald Curry, and I will say, Achilles injuries are the worst. Uh, Dominique Wilkins, Achilles got to him, and I uh, actually saw Boogie Cousins is you know obviously overcoming that. and He brought up Dominique back. Wilkins. He's, yeah, he's, he said he's coming back. back. He said he's coming back, and I think that is uh, that is good news for those who suffer that injury because it yeah, used to be just, over. Oh yeah,
1: they they compared Dominique Wilkins to Andre Iguodala yesterday on television. I almost <laughs> had to go to the bathroom.
0: Yes, that, Can that was you imagine uh, that well, right Miller, Reggie Miller, you know, it was the first time he ever, it was Chris Webber that made the comparison uh, with the putback dunk because, you know, Dominique would always yeah. you know, take the shot and get, get his own rebound and dunk it back. But uh, yeah, uh, Reggie Miller was very quick to remind him that that was not the case. I, I, Igu- I Iguodala is like Scottie Pippen. He's not like Dominique Wilkins.
1: Yeah, I don't even know. He's not
0: like Scotty. He's not going to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Scotty Pippen's... I think Scottie he might. I think they're all... I, I, I think, you know... Big Dallas not going to the Hall of Fame. Depending on what happens. Uh, that final's MVP. I, and if they win three or four championships, I... I, I I would buy into Livingston, Iguadala, uh, Draymond. Oh, man. You're just Clay, Curry. I, I, think, I think they're all gonna go. I, I don't think they're gonna I don't
1: understand this. Kevin Durant made an made a cameo on billions last night and Tate Fraser wasn't there for it. I don't wow. understand how could that
0: happen? I didn't I I can't believe I missed that. I, I'm glad he's on billions though. He was very interested in the show when we did our last interview with him. He said he loves the hedge fund. Uh so maybe he likes David Tepper and maybe he needs to talk to Tepper. Uh, we'll go Durant and Tepper we'll figure it out this has been another rousing edition of GM Street part of the Ringer Podcast Network I am Tate Fraser, and I've been joined by the great Mike Lombardi thanks buddy